Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to the Soul for Soul. Well, it's great to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Today is the 26th day of the month of Av. Uh, we've discussed quite a lot about Av in the show, talking about the nine days, Rosh Chodesh Av, the nine days, Tisha B'Av, and then we had Tuba Av, which is a day of joy. Um, and now we're approaching the end of the month of Av, and Av takes us into the month of Elul. Elul, the last month of the year, Elul, the month of introspection and of growth and of tshuva, which we'll discuss in a moment. Rosh Chodesh Elul is on Sunday and Monday, and uh, it's a very important time in the Jewish year. But before we get to Rosh Chodesh Elul, let's first discuss a little bit about today. Today, the 26th of Av, is actually an interesting day in Jewish history. So here's your interesting piece of Jewish history for the week. And that is on this day, the 26th of Av, in the year 1809, 70 students of the great um, genius, the Vilna Gaon, arrived in Israel. And they began a resurgence of Ashkenazi Jewry in the land of Israel. Of course, there were always Jews in Israel. And there have been um, since the first time that the Jewish people crossed over the Jordan River with Yehoshua leading them. In biblical times, ever since then, there's been a Jewish inhabitants of the land of Israel. But um, after the destruction of the Second Temple, and with the difficulty for the Jewish people to be in the land of Israel from the end of the first century of the Common Era, um, the Byzantine Christians controlled Israel, and they were vociferous in their anti-Semitism and in their persecution of Jews. And so the Jews, the, the Jewish center, the center of the Jewish world and Jewish civilization became Babel from about the year 100 um, for the, the next millennia, till about the year 900, Babel became the cent- spiritual center of the Jewish people. Um, although there were Jews in Eretz Israel, um, the, the core of the Jewish community was then in the diaspora. And it's a long history. We don't have time to go into all of the history, but that, now let's fast forward. Um, the Ottomans took over the land of Israel and... Uh, it, it also was not easy for Jews to be there. And from this time, the Vilna Gaon always wanted to go to the land of Israel. In fact, he set out to go to the Holy Land in the year 1783. But for reasons that are not known to us, he didn't make it. He didn't get there. Um, however, he inspired his disciples, his Talmudim, to go. And they became the pioneers of the modern settlement in the land of Israel. And uh, at a similar time, a large group of Hasidic Jews also arrived in Sfat. Um, and the leader of this group, of the 1809 group, of the students of the Volnagun, was Rav Yisrael of, Sh- of Sh- Shklov. And he, he, he was in Sfat for a few years, and then he went to Jerusalem, and he founded the modern Ashkenazi community in Jerusalem. And these times were not easy times for those individuals that arrived on this day in the year 1809. Um, there were earthquakes, there was cholera, there were constant attacks by uh, the Arabs. 
And the Rav Yisrael of Shklov, he authored a famous work called Peas Hashulchan, which is a summary of Jewish agricultural laws in the land of Israel. So he, in other words, uh, explained the halachas that were relevant for those that had now returned to the land. He actually, the first manuscript of the book got destroyed in a fire, had to rewrite the book. And um, his location, the location of his grave, uh, was not known for uh, over a hundred years after his death until it was discovered in Tiberi, in Tiberias. So his grave, he's buried in Tiberias. And today the descendants of that group are um, some of the most prominent families that are found in Yerushalayim. So they arrived um, 211 years ago this day, um, these uh, Lithuanian Jews in the land of Israel. Okay, great. So there's one more important date I want to share with you, and that is um, the yacht site of a very great person, a very great Jew. The Hori Natsiv, Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. I have mentioned him many times. We have discussed the Velozhina Yeshiva, which was the mother of all Yeshivas, which was started in 1803 by Rav Chaim of Velozhin. The, the date of the 28th of Av, which is Friday. Today is the 26th of Av. So Friday is the 28th of Av. It's the yacht site of the Natsiv, of Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. And he was one of the great leaders of Lithuanian Jewry. Um, he, so it's interesting, the acronym of his name. So he said he was Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. So that the first letters of those four words um, is Natsiv in, in Hebrew. So um, Natsiv also means a pillar in Hebrew. So the, the acronym of what he's referred to also means a pillar. And he was a real pillar of the Jewish people um, for close to a century. He was born in the year 1817. He died in the year 1893. A legend, there's a legend about him that when he was a child, he was thinking of dropping out of yeshiva, but um, he had a dream, and his dream was that when he went to Shemaim, they said to him, why um, are you not the Natsif? So he said, I don't know what you're talking about, and they told him, you could have achieved this and this and this if you would have applied yourself. And so he very diligently returned to his Torah learning to his Torah studies, and he emerged as uh, one of the great uh, Talmudim of the yeshiva. He, as a result, he married the granddaughter of Rav Chaim of Velozhin. Rav Chaim of Velozhin was the primary Talmud of the Bulmogon, and his granddaughter um, married this young prodigy, the Natsev, and he became a one of the heads of the Vladimir Shiva, the Rosh Hashiva, um, at a very young age, and he held that position for 40 years until the yeshiva closed in 1892. And the yeshiva um, really was, in the 19th century, the uh, the hot, the engine room of Klai Yisrael, the Jewish people. And it's said that 10,000 students studied in Velozhin yeshiva during the Natsiv's tenure, which is quite an unbelievable thing. Tragically, the yeshiva was forced to close in 1892, and the Natsiv intended then to go to Eretz Yisrael. Um, so like the the uh, the Talmud of Olegon, he wanted to get there, which has always been a longing of every Jew to go to the land of Israel. Um, but his medical condition was not good, and um, he spent, he, he was on his way, and he couldn't make it because of his health. And 
He was ill and was sent to Warsaw for treatment, and unfortunately he passed away in Warsaw in 1893, and he's buried in the cemetery in Warsaw. And uh, two years ago, it's almost exactly two years ago to the day, um, I was there in uh, in Poland, in Lithuania, and went to the Warsaw Cemetery and went to the grave of the Nativ. Now, interestingly, last week we spoke about Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, the great Rav Chaim, and he, Rav Chaim was married to the granddaughter of the Nativ, and together they were two co-Rosh Hashivas of Velozhin, and they buried together in Warsaw. They buried right next to each other in Warsaw. Um, it's a very powerful place, the Warsaw Cemetery. There are many um, stories about that, about it, and there are many holy people, including the Nativ and Rav Chaim, that are buried there. Nativ wrote a sefer called Ha'emek Davar, which is one of the uh, classic commentaries on the Torah, on Chamisha Chumshei Torah, one sees what a tremendous genius Nativ was and through this commentary. And it's something that's commonly studied to this day um, by uh, uh, scholars of Torah, by Talmud Echachamim. His oldest son, Rav Chaim Berlin, was the chief rabbi of Moscow. And his youngest son, Rabbi Meir Bar Ilan, he changed his name to Bar Ilan, um, he was also a very famous leader of the Jewish people. And it's after him that Israel's Bar-Ilan University is named. So that's the son of Nativ Bimeir Bar-Ilan. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we're moving on now from the month of Av to the month of Elul. And the month of Elul, as I mentioned, Rosh Chodesh Elul is on Sunday. And the month of Elul is a very important month in the Jewish calendar. The month of Elul is a time of um, introspection and a time of self-development and a time, an important time for us to, to think about who we are and what our lives are about and what we are doing in this world and um, it's, a, it's a time, an important time of preparation uh, for the awesome and powerful days of um, the Yomim Narayim Baroshan and Yom Kippur, which are not far away. And so, in order to prepare for Elul, um, so often it is said that the parshas that we are reading in Sefer Tevarim are really in an ideal um, set, you know, in order for us to focus on the right things and to lead us into the right headspace um, in which we should have for Elul. So let's start out with a theme that Moshe Rabbeinu, so as we know, Devarim is the Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Torah, is the final testament of Moshe Rabbeinu, of Moses, our teacher, and the last weeks of his life. And Moses shares with the Jewish people that which he feels is necessary for their entrance, entrance into the land, and for their becoming a normal nation in the land. Up until now, they've been in the desert and they've enjoyed Hashem's protection and they lived, have lived a supernatural existence. But now they're entering into the land and they have to live as a nation in their land. They have to set up courts of law. They have to have normal um, laws that govern a civilized society. They have to have a police force. They have to have... Um, Laws of, of ownership and property and agriculture. And all of these things were necessary. And that's what Moses is preparing. That's how Rab 
Shimshon Rafael Hirsch explains Sefer Devarim in his introduction. And one of the recurring themes that we see that Moshe Rabbeinu emphasizes is that which Hashem wants from the Jewish people. And we saw it in last week's Pasha, a very famous and powerful Pasuk. The Torah tells us in Pasha's Akev, you can look it up if you want, Perik Yud, chapter 10, Pasuk Yud Beis, uh, verse 12. And now, Jewish people, what is it that Hashem wants of you? Very, very important question. What is it that Hashem wants of us? And it's an important question for all of us. It's relevant and significant to all of us. What is it that Hashem wants of us? And Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem wants us to have an awe and reverence for Him. That's what Hashem wants. And the Gemara in Brochus says, that Lama Gimel in Brochus, the Gemara says that Moshe Rabbeinu says um, this to the Jewish people as if it's a simple thing. As if it's a, something that's easy to achieve and within the reach of all of us. But we all know that developing what we call Yira Shemaim, reverence for Hashem, is not such a simple thing. So Moshe Rabbeinu puts it like, this is all that Hashem wants of you. Not a lot. This is all He wants of you. But we know it is quite a difficult thing. So we might think that the way to generate awe and reverence of Hashem is through learning Torah, is through learning Hasidus, is to, through learning Musar, these Svarim and the learning of Torah, they shape our minds. In other words, they guide us and give us the right things to think about and frame life in the correct perspective. And they will generate within us a sense of awe and reverence for Hashem. But that, that is not true because we see we don't, we, the, the way to build Yeras Hashem is not only through learning Musa and Hasidus and, and the Torah, but we see that Avram Avinu had, he was self-made. He himself developed Yiras Hashem. The Pasuk says, Ki ata yadati ki yara elokim ata. That it says, Hashem says to Avram, now I know that you fear, that you fear God. Now I know that you got, you got all in reverence for God. So Avram was able to develop himself. And the Torah says, Yosef had this attribute. He was able to develop himself. And the Torah says that Amalek were, um, punished because they didn't have Yiras Hashem. They didn't have this attribute. So if it was something that's so difficult to develop and only through the Torah, so it wouldn't have been possible for Abraham when he was before the Torah. And it wouldn't be something that was expected from Amalek. And the answer really is, I saw this answer in the writings of Rabbi Abraham Tversky, Zatzal. Rabbi Tversky writes that achieving a basic level of Yiras Hashem is not such a difficult thing. Is something within the reach of every single one of us. And all it requires is basic, logical, elementary thinking. As King Solomon says in Mishlei, Reishis Chachma Yiras Hashem. The beginning of wisdom is Yiras Hashem. That's the start. That's the, the beginning of, of, of wisdom in life, in this world, is by having an own reverence for Hashem. Because the, it's a very basic observation and understanding and clear um, and clear view of life in the world. The, the Gemara actually says that if we didn't have the Torah to teach us about God and about what God wants of us, we would be able to learn the important attributes in life from the natural world. For example, we would learn um, not to steal from ants, and we would learn modesty from cats, and we would learn marital fidelity from doves. So unaided... Um, human intelligence is certainly capable of grasp, 
grasping these fundamental truths. Um, and we are actually derelict and held responsible if we don't do so. Once a Talmud went to the Rebbe of Ger and he said to him, how can one acquire fear of God? And the Rebbe answered him and said, how can one not? Because basic observation of life in the world brings us to the logical conclusion and understanding that there's a creator and we have a opportunity and a responsibility to connect to that creator. As David HaMelech said, Hashemayim is Saprim Kavodkel, that the heavens speak out of the glory of Hashem. In other words, open our eyes and see the heavens. And we're going to discuss opening our eyes in a moment, which is actually this week's parasha. Re'eh, look, see. Look out and see the heavens and see the world and see big and small, the unbelievable, magnificent, exquisite, exquisite universe we live in and the fact that it can't be accidental or coincidental or by chance. That is ludicrous and statistically almost impossible. The fact that we have this vast, magnificent, exquisite world tells us very clearly and very obviously that there must be a creator of all of us. So that certainly is within the ability of every single one of us to come to that basic elementary conclusion that there must be a God. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying to the Jewish people. Yes, higher, lofty levels of reverence for Hashem come through the study of Torah and come through the study of Musa and Hasidus. And they build us and build our sensitivity and enable us to reach out to Hashem in a very powerful way. But the entry level um, uh, step of Yerus Hashem, the entry level uh, ability for each individual is there. It's there for the taking. It doesn't create, uh, require tremendous knowledge of life in the world of science and biology and astrology. And it doesn't require a great genius who understands philosophy. Basic logical thinking will bring every single one of us to the simple conclusion that there must be a creator. So why don't we achieve that? Why don't we see most of the world, although I still think um, large numbers, if not the majority of the world, still believes in God. Um, however, we, the, uh, it's very widespread, the denial of the existence of a creator, and certainly many of the institutions of Western society do not subscribe by this view. Um, certainly academia and the world of uh, and the media and Hollywood and many of the influences in life um, try and counter this basic premise and understanding that there's a God. And many individuals don't come to this conclusion themselves. Many individuals do not reach the very basic understanding that there must be a creator. Um, and there's two primary reasons why that is so. The first one is that, and I think this is the, the most prevalent one, is that people realize, we all know, that if we accept the existence of a creator, so we realize that therefore we have a responsibility to be in sync with the will of the creator to fulfill what the Creator wants of us. And um, that means curtailing certain passions and appetites that we may have, certain physical urges. And therefore, we don't want to deny ourselves of certain pleasures. And as a result, we deny this basic elementary view. We all know that if there's a strong physical pleasure that is um, enticing us, so 
no matter how strong the facts are, no matter how clear and obvious the truth is, we will deny it if it stands in our way, if it prevents us from achieving that pleasure. So that's why many people in the world, and ourselves included, we tend to deny the existence of God because we don't want to curtail our lifestyle and our physical urges. That's one reason. A second reason is that we stubbornly adhere to our existing beliefs. We we are not mavakshe um, ms. We're not searching for the truth, but rather we are comfortable with our existing beliefs, and we don't want to change them. We don't want to um, remove away from them. We don't want to deny them. So that really is the result of our stubbornness and our will to cling to our existing understandings and beliefs. And together, those two prevent us from the most simple conclusion in life around us, and that is the existence of a creator. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu says to Klai Israel. He says to them, that you should remove the hard covering of your heart. In other words, your tithers, your physical desires, they block you from seeing the truth. And your stubbornness blocks you from from seeing what um, what life is really about. And therefore, you need to break out of that stubbornness and the hardness of your heart. And and that is this basic premise he's saying, Moshe Rabbeinu, is that Hashem wants us to come to this conclusion. We all have the ability to do so, and we all need to do so, and rise above our physical desires and supersede our stubbornness, break through our stubborn mold, and see this basic truth that Hashem exists in the world. And that is the very powerful opening of this week's Torah reading, of this week's Pasha. This week's Pasha is called Pasha's Re'eh. And this is perfect preparation for all of us for the month of Elul. The Pasuk says, Re'eh anoichi nosen lifneichem hayom brochu klala. Look, see that I'm placing in front of you blessing and curse. So let's now learn together what this word re'eh means. What does it mean look? It has a number of different layers of different meanings. The first one is what we've been talking about, is the obvious one. Look at the world and see. Open your eyes and see. The Rambam says that the way to achieve the love of God is to um, look at the world, big and small. So, uh, you know, as we've been saying, you take a microscope and look at the microscopic um, nature and format and and um, existence of the tiniest um, organisms in the world. Look at the cell makeup that is the foundation of all life, of all existence, of all matter. So whether you look in the microscope or whether you look in the telescope and you look at the massive universe and the planets and the stars and the size of our universe, and we realize how vast and how perfect and how intricate this world is. We need to re to look, see, open our eyes. Um, so unfortunately, our lives are busy, and especially in our technologically advanced society. So these, our, our um, gadgets and our, the, the, the many, um, Aspects of technology that surround us, they make that they're supposed to make our lives easier and supposed to make our uh, give us more time in our lives. 
but actually they make our lives a lot more hectic and they make our existence frenetic and we are constantly catching up with ourselves whether it's our WhatsApps or it's our Facebook page or it's our emails. So we're chasing our tails. And that's one of the most effective tools of the Yetzirah, to stop us from just seeing the magnificent world around us. And here in South Africa, we have a great opportunity to do that because we have the African bush felt. And the bush felt, you, you enter into the bush felt and it's screaming at you. It's so loud. Hashem's voice, and it's so clear, Hashem's fingerprints, because you see the vastness and the perfection and the beauty and the um, incredible cohesion of God's world. That's the, you know, we often tend to miss that in our urban societies and our busy, technologically advanced lives. But when one enters into the bush and steps out, and by the way, that's Shabbos. Shabbos, we switch off all the technology and it's all quiet, all the noise dies down, and we can think, we can think clearly, and we can see, we can see the world, and we can see um, the existence of Hashem. So the first part of Ra'eh is to see this world, and to see Hashem, and to see that there must be a creator. Secondly, says the Sforno, Ra'eh doesn't only mean look, but it also means think. It means look, and it's not physical looking, but it's a it's a, um, it's a, not literal, but it's a figurative expression of re'e, understand, look and understand, and see, um, let the existence of God's presence in the world impact upon us. And we need to integrate it into our mindset and understand what all of that means. Um, he, the Sforno says that the, with regards to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the Jewish people, they didn't absorb and internalize the events that happened when they came out of Egypt in order for them to then go straight into the land. Um, and uh, they had the spies and they complained about, you know, the dangers of the land. And that's because they didn't integrate the events around them in a, in a sufficient way. And therefore there was a hefzik, there was an interruption between Yetzirah Mitzrayim and Knis Asaret and entering into the land. Because and in that generation couldn't go into the land because they um, did not integrate and absorb and internalize those events around them, and only the next generation could go. So Ra'e is look, and Ra'e is also think. Think about what all that means, and let it impact on you and impact on your lives. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing how the word re'eh has multiple meanings. The first one is look and see the wonderful world around us and see the hand of the creator in our magnificent universe. And then the second step, the second part of that is integrate. Let notice it and see it and let that have an impact, a direct impact on our thought process. Uh, think about and digest and absorb how powerful and significant that is. The third step, the third reference to that word re'eh, beginning of this week's parasha, is once we see God and once we think about it deeply, use the power of the Torah 
to mold our thoughts and understand on an even deeper level. As it says, the Pasuk says, Libi Ra Harbe Chokhmah. My heart saw. So Ra'e is also referring to Chokhmah, wisdom of the Torah. See the wisdom of the Torah and let that now mold and let that now frame and um, give us a perspective of life and of God. Look at the events of this world and through the wisdom of the Torah understand their significance and how Hashem is orchestrating all events that are heading in a particular direction for a particular goal for all humanity. As the Pasuk, the verse says at the end of Devarim in Ha'azinu, which we're going to come to soon, Zohor Yomos Oilam Binu Dor Vador. Remember the years of the world, understand generation to generation. In other words, we are supposed to look at history and at world events that have, um, that have come and gone and understand them through the eyes of Torah. And look at nature and understand it through the eyes. The Rambam actually says that the Torah enables us to see Hashem much more clearly in the natural world and in Hashem and, and in the historical events that have occurred in humanity. Um, so with the wisdom of the Torah, the Ra'eh look at the Torah and let the um, wisdom of the Torah guide us into the meaning and depth and significance of that which we see around us. And that will lead us to the fourth level of Re'ei. The fourth level of Re'ei is the level of Nevoah. Re'ei is see the secrets of the world. See the depth of the universe and how Hashem runs everything big and small. And how all of the world is a single united whole. Hashem is one. Hashem is one. And everything in our world is an expression of Hashem's oneness. And the Chacham Actually, the Gemara says, Chacham Adif Minavi, that a wise person actually supersedes the Navi. So if you have wisdom, you can put that all together and see how there's a common denominator in everything in the universe that our, Hashem is threading together as one single unit, as one whole. Um, the Navi has, what is Navu, what is prophecy? Prophecy is when an individual is given the privilege to see into the world beyond this finite, limited world. We are all bound by time and space in this world. We're locked into those dimensions. And the Navi, the prophet, he has an access to the world which is beyond time and space, the world which is eternal, the world in which the prophet sees Hashem's um, energy driving everything that exists in the world, in the universe. So that the, is the ultimate level of Re'eh. And if we follow these four steps, see Hashem in the world. And that's a basic elementary um, acknowledgement and conclusion that every human being has the ability to achieve. Understand, let that penetrate and integrate that into our lives. Think about that. Think about what that means. Um, digest that understanding. Use the wisdom of the Torah to deepen that understanding. And that will ultimately lead us to the fourth level of Re'eh, and that is seeing the secrets of the universe, seeing how Hashem runs the entire show and everything in it, and how it all is part of the unity of the oneness of Hashem Echad. So that's what the Torah is telling us, Re'eh. That's, that's, the, that's the first word of this week's Pasha, which is very, very powerful. And when one is able to do that, and follow this teaching of Moshe Rabbeinu of Moses, so then one has a great clarity of Hashem's existence in the world, 
and of the commandments of Hashem the world. In fact, the Telzer of the great Telzer of, of Avram Yitzchak Bloch, um, he was murdered by the Nazis in the year 1941. He was born in 1891. So Rab Bloch said that um, a person's understanding and clarity of Torah should be such that it's it's like a brick wall. He actually says it in a different way. He says that that you know if a person's standing up in a high building, you tell him to walk off, you'll say he won't be able to move. You'll say, what do you mean? If I walk off, I'm going to fall down the building. I'm going to die. He, he won't move. He says our knowledge and understanding of Torah and the mitzvahs should be the same. That if I do an avera transgression, it's like stepping off a building. And if I do, and, and I must and I have to do the mitzvahs. It's, it's as clear as that, as strong as that. So if we follow the four steps of Re, we will reach that this um, level, which is obviously a lofty level and something we should all aspire to. And there's such a beautiful vote of Rashim from Raphael Hirsch. Rav Hirsch says that the word re spelt with an alav is look. Right? Re'e is look and and look in the four ways that we've discussed. But he says the the word re is also with an I in, which means a shepherd, and there's a connection between the two. Because you follow these four steps of re, all of your physical and not and emotional and psychological needs will be met. You will have a life of meaning and of purpose and of fulfillment. Just like the shepherd is looks after his flock and is takes care of all of their needs. So the re, if we look in the with an aleph, all of our needs will be taken care of. There's nothing, as the Gemara says, ain't simcha kataras hasfekas. There's no joy then resolving doubts. In other words, having an understand clear understanding of what life is about. And of what God wants of us and what the, our purpose is in this world is a very, very powerful thing. It's something that we should all um, aspire to and try and achieve in our lives. And, uh, and, and that gives us tremendous meaning and fulfillment in our existence. You listen to Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 Chai FM. We are getting into the headspace of Elul. Rosh Kodesh Elul is on Sunday and Monday. It's a very important time in the Jewish calendar. And there are three aspects to Elul that we should be focusing on. The first one is Elul is a time, as we've been saying, to remind ourselves of our of the Creator of God and of our place in God's universe and to um, realign ourselves with the will of the Creator in our daily lives, in our living. So Elul is a time we say a particular psalm, a particular um, uh, capital to Hilim throughout Elul, the David Hashem Uri Yishi. So this particular psalm is, makes reference to Elul, makes reference to um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and it's, it starts with the words Le David, the psalm of David, Hashem Roi, Hashem Uri Yishi. Hashem is my light and my salvation. So in the month of Elul, we are emphasizing the light of Hashem in the world. We are looking for the light of Hashem in the world, and we are realigning ourselves, reconnecting. And we blow the shofar every day of Elul, from Monday, we're going to be blowing the shofar in the mornings after Shacharis. As the Rambam says in Hilchus Tshuva, he says, we blow the shofar as an alarm clock. Uru Yusheni Mishnaschem. Awaken your, your sleepers from your sleep. 
the shofar is, to, is supposed to jolt us and awaken us and uh, help us see life and reality. So that's the first aspect of Elul, is we reconnect into the light of Hashem, we're waking up from the slumber and seeing reality as we are supposed to. Elul, the second aspect of Elul, is that Elul is 40 days. I, sorry, so the, the, the significance of Elul is that Moshe Rabbeinu went up for a second time. Sorry, for a third time. He went up first. Three times Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Harasina. The first time was he went up on Shavuos and he came up, came uh, down on Shavasabatamos um, when they were worshipping the golden calf. Then he went up a second time and then he went up a third time. The third time was Rosh Chodesh Elul and he came down on, um, and he came down on Yom Kippur. And that's when Klai Yisrael knew that they were forgiven by Hashem. So Rosh Chodesh Elul was the beginning of this phase in which Klai Yisrael, they had sinned, they had moved away from Hashem, they had um, committed the terrible transgression of the, the golden calf, and they knew that they were forgiven when Moshe returned 40 days later on Yom Kippur. And that's how we know Yom Kippur is a day of forgiveness, a day of atonement. So the second aspect of Elul is that it's the time when Hashem forgives us. It's the time when Hashem um, is particularly open to our returning and to our um, fixing ourselves up and doing tshuva. And finally, Elul is also the last days of the year. Elul is the last month before Rosh Hashanah, which is the beginning of the year. So it's the last days of the year to assess how our year was. How have we done? Like financial year end, we look at the year financially and we assess how, if we, it was successful or not, where the weak points were, where the strengths were. So this is the time. These 30 days of Elul are an important time for us to assess and to look into our year and to see, did I achieve my goals? Did I achieve the commitments that I made? Last Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, have I developed as a human being? Have I become a more noble human being with more self-control? Have I built my relationship with God? Is it, am I in a better place than I was last year? Um, have I built my relationships with those around me, my loved ones? Have I worked on those relationships and improved those relationships? And where are the areas that need improvement, both in terms of relationship with God and my relationship with my, my fellow human beings? What are my weak points? What are my strengths? What must I continue to, um, to employ and use, which is working? What must I stay away from and change, which is not working? So that's the opportunity we have with Elul and with the last uh, month of the year. And to end of Elul stands for Anila Dodi Vadodi Li. It's a, it means uh, the acronym of the word Elo is the first letters of that verse. I am for my beloved and my beloved is for me. It was a beautiful time of closeness with Hashem. It's a beautiful opportunity to reconnect with Hashem and regenerate our relationship. And even if we strayed and even if we've gone away, it's a wonderful time when Hashem is waiting for us and wanting us to come back. And just like a parent is longing for their child to return, their estranged child who's gone away, parent can't wait for them to return, and every day is waiting for them to come back. So, so too Hashem is longing for us and waiting for us and looking for our movements in the right direction. And our re'eh, our seeing Him and thinking about that and allowing the Torah to guide us to the deep understanding of God behind everything in the universe. And in Hashem, this Elul, we should all do that work and use this beautiful opportunity we have to reconnect with God. And please, God, 
we should all be blessed with an end of the darkness and the end of a, a time of suffering and calamity and of coronavirus. And please, God, only the light of the new year should be upon all of us. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.